Good Enough Mother podcast. I'm your host, Sophie, a sociologist and a mother, and my mission is to change how motherhood is culturally defined and individually experienced. I want women who are mothers to feel supported, empowered, held, revered, and respected. I have discussions here with experts and changemakers who want to expand the conversation that we're having about motherhood. You're listening to episode number 45, Conscious Parenting as Our Opportunity for Growth. I also have a new program out. It's called Bloom, Growing Through Maternal Anger. It starts November 23rd, and we'll be talking about where anger comes from. You'll learn how to respond, ways to channel anger, how anger can be a powerful resource in our mothering, and the ways that anger can be an opportunity for our growth in our mothering. It is a three-week program. There are three different options for participating. For more information and to join, head to drsophiebrock.com forward slash maternal anger. Now, in this episode of the podcast, I'm speaking to Bridget Wood, and we are talking all about what conscious parenting means and how it affords us the opportunity for growth as mothers. Bridget Wood is a thought leader on human behavior, and she's the mother to three young children. She's a masterful facilitator, creating spaces and conversations designed to raise collective consciousness. Embodying authentic leadership, activism, and empowered motherhood, Bridget's work will revolutionize the way you approach your life and your beliefs. Her powerful, transformative online programs and long-running Nourishing the Mother podcast are sought out by women across the globe. She's an avid researcher and deeply understands human relational dynamics and neurological biases and our innate need for connection. With a Bachelor of Communications focused in media, journalism, and sociology, Bridget's a captivating speaker and facilitator who compels audiences and coaching clients to open their minds and challenge the status quo. I really hope you enjoy this thought-provoking conversation. If you do, I would love it if you're able to leave the podcast a review so that we can have these conversations reach more people. Thank you for being here with me, Bridget. My introduction to conscious parenting and this way of mothering was birthed through connecting with you and Julie with Nourishing the Mother. So I think that it's really special. It feels really special for me to have you here on my podcast today. So thank you so much for being here. I feel so, so grateful to be here, Sophia. And I would, I can still remember the very first, that very email that landed in that inbox. And I said to Julie, like, look at this woman. Oh my gosh, her story is incredible. Like I just was so enchanted by, you know, your your level of depth and desire to grow in motherhood. And so to be able to be here on your podcast is pretty amazing. Thank oh, you. thank you. Mm-hmm. I wondered if you wanted to just start off describing with listeners what this way of mothering means. I mean, what is conscious parenting even though it's probably difficult to describe how would you sort of put words to it i would say that conscious parenting is is the willingness to recognize that our child is teaching us just as much as we're teaching them and that that mothering and parenting offers an opportunity to grow in really profound ways when we recognize that the dynamic that we're in with our child is is not is not an accident and that in fact it's quite perfect for the evolution of every person in that relationship because it's really a relationship 
Mm. And but then it's also hard to define because, you know, as you gave me, you said that to me, you know, what's conscious parenting? I'm like, well, I mean, it's so hard to put into words. So in some moments, conscious parenting is simply an awareness of your own unconsciousness in a moment. And therefore, which paves a beautiful way to repair something with your child when you realise you were really disrespectful to them, for example, just like you have asked them to own their disrespect to you, right? Yes. Yes. And so in a way, you mentioned here, parenting is a relationship. And I think in some ways that sounds really obvious, but in other ways that sounds really profound and is actually... Mm something that is a feature of mothering that I think so often gets left out of the conversation to recognize that, well, what is a relationship? It's actually a dynamic and it's a movement back and forth between mm. us and our children. And do you think in some ways that recognition, cause this is how I have experienced it, that it can be on the one hand, quite freeing, to recognize that actually you're not standing there as the authority of all knowledge, wisdom and expertise that you need to impart on your child. But then also in some ways it can almost feel like you now have more responsibility because you're aware of how powerful that relationship is. Yeah. I think it is. It's bittersweet or it's, it's, it's kind of like you're, you're on the edge, you're on like a knife edge there because yes, like it's profound. And I think when you start to look at, at um, you know, intergenerational trauma or intergenerational patterning you recognize how incredibly profound the parent the parent is on a child if we all look at our own parenting um, experiences of being parented but at the same time you also recognize you know i'm i'm seeking to parent and who's going to and the adult here i'm seeking to parent not just this child in front of me but who are who they're to become and the kind of relationship that i want with them and yes we live in a, a social contracts that say that you respect your parents and but ultimately just like in an intimate relationship the piece of paper doesn't have much weight if you don't each honour and respect each other's values and are willing to love each other as you grow and change and transform. And so our children are not committed to us. They're committed to the fulfilment of who they really are. Mm -hmm. And so if I want to be in relationship with my child and, and, and feel the nourishment of their love, just like I want them to feel the nourishment of my love, then I need to be committed to the practice of loving them as they evolve into who they are. And often who they are, might really deeply challenge me because our children are designed to. If you get into the DNA of it, which you can look at in epigenetics, our children are designed to express what, what we repress at the moment of conception. So, so I have to just pause you there because <laughs> <laughs> there might be some people listening to this and they're saying, what? are you talking about? Because that's what I first, when I first heard, yeah. I needed to just pause and say, and just go, wait, what are you talking about? Because I think so many of us have grown up with this perception and understanding of the parent child dynamic and relationship as seeing almost children are blank slates that we write on and mm. so going okay yes I subscribe to the view that mothering is valuable and parenting is important and instructive because yeah, you instill all your values on your children and you shape how your children are and who they're being in the world. And what you're saying has threads of connection with that, but it's actually something quite different. So mm. I wonder if we just wanted to break that down a little further to explain what exactly it is that you mean. 
So if we, so I'm going to bring a little bit of spirit into this. So, so if you consider that we as humans are having a human experience, but we are also on some level a soul having an experience too. And so the moment of birth, those two things intersect. But what is enormously powerful is the genetic imprints that gets handed down. And from an evolutionary biological point of view, in order for parents to become more whole, so for us as people to own the reflection that we see that the world provides to us of who we are ultimately we need to learn to love that because we're going to keep running into people in the world who we feel challenged by who carl jung talks about are ultimately just reflections of yourself so if we consider the mirror concept that carl jung talked about and so one of the greatest ways to learn to love those pieces is to birth them because you'll always love your own children. Even, even the most disconnected families on some level, very deep beneath hurt, will always love their children. So our biology has this, and I guess consciousness has this incredible design which says, okay, here, you wanna learn love? The parts of yourself that you most struggle with, you're going to get them in your child so that you learn through the mirror of that child how to love yourself. Mm. And so conscious parenting for me is, is the willingness to, when we want to close or shut down or bury or destroy or disown the parts that our child reflects to us, is to stretch wider and love a little harder into that into that which we struggle most with so that we can not only keep intact their wholeness and their ability to love more of who they are, but we reclaim the pieces that we cast out because we learn very early on the things that are not okay. You know, as women, we learn that our rage is not okay, that our anger is not okay. We learn from our culture about tall poppy syndrome, for example. We learn so many things that, that we inject within us, in, into ourselves in order to be okay in the world. And conscious parenting is really about allowing our child to be as much of themselves as we can allow them to be in relationship with us as a family and in, in terms of moving, as, moving out into the world as a respectable and, and contributing member of society. Mm. The person that can both contribute to that society, but also challenge the status quo of that society. Yeah, and that is really, that's really challenging. Professor Sarah Ruddick talks about it in terms of maternal thinking and saying that as mothers or as anyone who mothers, as a verb, we engage in a practice where we are training our children to be socialised, like we have to socialise them to some extent in order to belong in a society. Mm -hmm. Yet we're also nurturing within them growth of their individuality and trying to sort of protect their authenticity within that. And it's a really hard thing to grapple with. And when you were talking about those, those ways that our children can be mirrors of us and to be expressions of our disowned parts or the parts of ourselves we find most challenging, like I see this play out in just colloquial conversation with mothers around how we say, 
that, oh, you know, our child is a mini me. Like, oh, look at your daughter. She's a mini you. Or look, it's a mini. And seeing our children as almost little reflections of us or as little, mm. well, they, they, here, is, uh, here is a little embodiment of everything I want to feel proud about. Or here is a little person mm. that I can project my lost dreams or hopes or wishes onto. And then at the same, perhaps in the next moment even, almost the feeling of total alienation from your child like who is that child you know (laughs) jokes about oh they're not mine who whose child is that like so the ways even our everyday language in kind of mainstream spaces of mothering actually reflects that very dynamic that you point Mm. to it really does yeah that's a great it's a great yeah reminder i'm thinking about this even in terms of like i often intergenerational relationships I always find it interesting when my mother cares for my children and what might come up in that dynamic right for her to have to witness and grow into and for me to test myself on what I can hold you know in terms of big feelings for example so what is it what's an example of that playing out like in practical terms I guess yeah so for instance this morning my daughter we had to go to a specialist appointment so she had to have an endoscope stuck up her nose which is really traumatic and so she kind of cried a lot, but then she calmed down because we were in a space where she just adjusted, right? And then when we got home from the appointment, the, I didn't put enough honey on her blueberries. And I wasn't allowed to put any more honey on. She had to put more honey on. And I knew that it wasn't about the honey. It really wasn't about the honey, right? And so I said no, and I set a limit. And I knew it wasn't going to go down well for her. Like it was just going to, she was not going to like it. And so she started throwing things off the bench, off the table. You know, rage was building in her body. And so I just moved the things out of her way that that could have been thrown. And then she started yelling at me. Then she got off the chair because she's also got a broken foot. So she's also got a huge amount of pent up frustration right now. She's four. And then she kept yelling that she wanted to do it herself. And I was repeating back to her, yeah, you really want to do it yourself. If you want some more, I can put it on for you, but you're not doing it. And my mum's just there. I can see my mum's face and she's really struggling, like struggling with the, with this enormous expression. Because right, because by this point, Sylvie's now throwing chairs. And then she's come up to me and she's throwing her hands in my face and trying to scratch me. And I hold her hand. I can't let you hit me. And then she wants me to go away, right? And I recognise, okay, so and knowing what I know about the brain as well, I'm, like, I'm thinking, okay, she's in a big trauma. Like, she's highly dysregulated. There's no point reasoning here. So I'm actually going to help her create safety for herself by, and I'm going to move away to where she wants me to move. So I moved to the other side of the room. At this point, my mum's now left the room with my baby because I think it was too much for her system to handle. It was intense. And I can't help this all of the time. There's times where I just don't have capacity, but today I had heaps and I can see my mum just thinking, I don't even know how you're doing that. And and then that thinks, okay, so how was this dealt with in me? Because we all have these feelings, but as children, we learn whether we are told or whether we energetically sense it, whether this is okay, like whether, whether I'm safe to express myself. And I don't have a sense that I ever really was. And so therefore I have quite a big value on ensuring that my children know that as much as I can, those feelings are okay. I won't let you hit me, but you can be as angry and rageful and frustrated as you need to be. 
and I will keep you safe and I'll keep myself safe and I won't shame you for it and I won't make you wrong and I won't try and just focus on the behaviour of what we can't do because I can see that this is an emotion that needs to be expressed out of your body for you to be back into a sense of health. But in fact, this is healthy expression. But that's too much, I think, for, for my mum because as if that was ever, ever safe for her, right? And so I have an enormous amount of compassion and I also don't put myself on a pedestal with it because I can also recognise that there's ways that my mum gives to my kids that I can't, and it's just not in my values too, but my values are here. And, then my, and, I, and I see the value of this work with my daughter. And so that's what I find interesting that was in terms of what plays out. You know. And then also where we, judge, where we judge ourselves, because if I've got a big judgment on what my mum might think, then I might shut down my daughter, you know, because, because we, don't, we, we also internalise our own mothers, whether we really infatuate with them or think that they did the right thing or we have a big mother wound on all the ways they failed us and, and that becomes a, a, a running commentary sometimes, whether it's conscious or unconscious, that then imprints on how we treat our children. And so, yeah, I mean, I just, it just blows my mind, all of that stuff. Oh, my gosh. I have so much that I could pull out from there. My mind is going a million directions. So first, I guess I want to just go back to that scenario that you recounted for us to just pull out a few points there, particularly if anyone listening is like, wow, what? How? How do I slow that down? Because I remember with my daughter when I started kind of learning about this way of mothering and putting it into practice, it really, really shifted things for me to see uh, the ways that she, I could trust that she knew herself. You know, mm. I could trust that she knew herself and her body and what she needed. And that I ultimately don't have responsibility, nor do I need to have responsibility for the feelings that run through her system, but yeah. that I'm there to hold that for her and to create that safety, which is what you did with your daughter today. But to first recognize that in order for you to be able to have that, this experience and mother that way, well, first you needed to have a level of awareness and consciousness that's even a thing, right? Around your understanding of the neurobiology of feelings and emotion and the way that a four-year-old brain works and develops mm. and that, you know, the type of expectations that you can have on her or not. Mm. Because I think so often we have these really high expectations on our children around their behaviors and was that a good choice or was that a bad choice <laughs> without recognizing <laughs> it's not actually a choice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, you know, how important that is. And that's what I hope that this conversation can open up for people is to, to actually take on some of those understandings. But then to not only have that understanding, but to, but to have that level of connection with yourself. Mm. Because you had to have connected in with yourself first in order to have provided that space for her. But also the bit I'm curious if you would like to talk back to this is, to not only recognize that in you to be able to extend it and hold space for your daughter, but to have an awareness and make a decision around the dynamics with your mum as well. Mm. Because I know for many mothers, this can be a key challenge in that we might feel as though we have spaciousness for our child and I, if we're just in a dynamic together, but then when you bring others into it who often are not 
on the same page as you around your parenting and who you may feel even judging you and thinking, mm. why can't, you know, them crying is a reflection on your parenting. Like, how do you in the moment navigate that? Yeah. I always like to remind myself and clients also that ultimately whenever we're perceiving somebody else judging us, it's because we're judging ourselves. And in my highest values, I get to certainty pretty quickly. So it's a pretty high value for me. Like if I, if I saw my daughter's feelings like that get shamed, I'd be like, nah, sorry, that's not happening here. You know, like, and, that, and I, that's, I'm pretty unwavering there. So it's not really much of a thought now. However, like, you know, I've got three children. I've been parenting, you know, my oldest is nearly eight. And so we've been doing this kind of parenting with him since he was a baby. So it's not new for my mum. But I think every time we hit a big thing, and, and my daughter is particularly fiery, it is a bit of a shock to her system. But yeah, that, that, I mean, there's times where I can feel like that kind of thing might happen in public or, or maybe with in-laws, for example. With in-laws, I have to work a lot harder. But I also think our children are really clever and they, they decide when they're going to express that. Like they, they, they sense when it's safe or they also sense what the broader dynamic needs right because they'll be doing they'll be causing an opportunity for healing to grandparents as well you know because grandparents will have to face that whole well i would have been smacked and that was never okay for me and and they will have to go into their own internal inquiry with that if they're willing otherwise they'll just make your child wrong right mm. so for me i think it, it's it's more of a, a i have a, i'm fairly solid on it now but there was certainly a period where i had to navigate that and and make it safe for myself and yeah because it is you're kind of having to track out there what's going on but i think also when our children sense that we're not fully there they'll, they'll amp it up as well because it's almost when you're parenting like this or in these moments it, it is almost and if you've got any therapists listening or play therapists particularly it is a therapeutic style of parenting which is you are becoming the, 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 the co-regulator for this child. And the degree to which you can regulate them is the degree to which you're already regulated. And so, of course, you cannot mother like this all of the time because you are not always going to be regulated. Mm. And I don't think we need to apologise for that as well because we're fully human. Yeah. There'll be times when we just don't have space. But when we do, I, I imagine kind of myself like my capacity is kind of it stretches out like from my body into the whole room and it's almost like this giant holder of, of the a container that, that that takes up every every wall and every floor and every wall and it's it's you know what goes through my mind is like that you know you're not too much for me this is not too much for me i've got this but I have to, in order, in order to have that, I have to have one foot in my own solid ground and one foot in her dysregulation. And if I go too much into hers, then I'll lose myself and, and I'll be wobbly and I won't be at all helpful. Mm. If I'm in too much of me, then I can't feel her. Mm. And, how do you sense, how do you sense when you're... So like I'm putting myself there in a situation with my daughter and I'm, I'm feeling into that. And there's this level where it's like, you've got them, you can hold the space, you, you're doing it. Like, yeah, it's happening. But then there are times when 
I almost feel myself, particularly actually for me, it's around being late. Like if it is happening yeah. and I have somewhere else to be, I'm like, <laughs> I can hold the space for 10 minutes and that is it. You know? yeah. And like, how, how do you navigate that when you start feeling yourself slipping into their dysregulation more than that foot in your self? Yeah, I know. I even that, that's a big trigger for me too, is, is the getting out the door on time. And I remember when I used to have to drive my son to school and sometimes it would be like, I can't, we actually have to go. So I'm going to physically move you and we're going. And I might be putting you in the seat and I might be strapping you in and you might still be kicking and that's okay. You know, so even like kicking the back of my seat, I'm okay with that because I can see the expression of that energy and that needs to be discharged. And when that has is done, he will stop it. Mm-hmm. But I also have to connect with myself and make that okay. Or there's times like with my daughter with the broken foot, you know, and like with her transitions for her are really hard right now because she's, you know, transitions are a great place for kids to let go of all the feelings because they don't want to move and there's all this brain stuff that goes on about moving. And so some days I've had to actually pick her up and put her on the back of the pram to school, like walking to school with her really upset with me and just, I don't have to fix that. I can't fix that for her, but I can be with her in it and I can also be irritated by it. And that's okay too. I think it's not about getting it perfect. I think it's just being willing to um, be, give yourself permission and then permission to be fully human mm. and not like make some stuff okay and, and not, right? And so could you talk to when you don't have spaciousness or when you or others in a caregiving capacity shut feelings down, not necessarily in a shaming sense explicitly, but through distraction yeah or, so what what Food, kind of whatever it is. yeah yeah tv <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's just an internal check with myself about am I, am I okay with this yeah i am right now because maybe my attention in that moment can't be with their their needs maybe it needs to be with my needs or my like self-care or my relationship or you know the email i've got to sit down and write but i know that it's going to come back up with them yeah. You, know, and you don't lose the opportunity. You don't lose the opportunity. And and I often, one of my favourite things to say too is, you know, that, that the boundary, our boundary is the place at which we're about to lose ourselves. Mm. And so some days or some moments, our boundaries might be like, you know, like so tight, like we might have very little. So our, we'll be, our no will be a lot clearer. We might not want to play the game that our kids want us to play or we might not want to stay with them until they fall asleep or whatever that is and I think that that's really okay and being clear on that I mean even like last night my son was really irritated with his dad like for not continuing to read the story and his dad kind of just walked out and I said like yeah that was dad's boundary because he asked you a couple of times to stay in bed and listen and you kept getting up and kept talking to your sister over the top of him and you didn't and so for dad that was him done you know, and I don't have to make, I don't have to fix that. I just have to make it okay for my son to feel the disappointment and frustration with that. And my husband be fully okay in his desire to leave that room and, and no longer feel disrespected in that moment, right? Mm, and so what, what, does it, what does that do for, because I'm thinking about, you know, you talk really beautifully about 
congruence and incongruence. Mm. I wondered if you could speak to that in terms of our mothering and this holding of space for our children and recognition actually that we are in dynamic and what we, regardless of what we might be saying to our children, what they're receiving is what we're feeling, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think you consider the brain, the developing brain, like our brains, all of us are always scanning for incongruence in the environment. And if, if, if we feel like something someone's saying isn't matching what the felt sense is that we're getting from that person that's really destabilizing particularly for a child and so that's also why it'll feel like they're continually pushing a button for you because they're trying to get you congruent and that's also why your anger is actually sometimes exactly what your child wants because sometimes especially mothers who decided to gentle parent anger can be actually your greatest truth teller Mm. and so your child might actually be relieved to see you angry because they'll be like, thank God, you finally tell me what you really think, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's an, it, perhaps it's an uncomfortable aspect of mothering and I think that's why it's perhaps still so taboo because yeah. particularly in, I, I wanted to this podcast episode as well to be almost like a speaking back to or a speaking with, gentle and attachment parenting paradigms because I think yes. so often we put those that that way of parenting on a pedestal and then it can kind of like I don't know about you Bridget but like with some become a cage. Yeah, <laughs> a cage. And it's almost yeah. like this was my experience and, and clients as well is that you start out as an attachment parent and then they get to a toddler and you're like, why isn't this working anymore? What do I yeah. do you have that experience? Yeah. So I, I want yes. to speak to that. Yeah, so um, I think about it. So if um, so I have three children, they're one, four, and seven. And before I had my first, my, my son, my first child, I experienced a miscarriage at 12 weeks, which was absolutely heartbreaking, but enormously powerful in terms of me, like just getting on the mothering path really deeply, congruently, and just it became me and so of course I did all the research and I decided how I was going to parent and I you know did all the attachment things kind of ticked all the attachment parenting boxes and and felt like it was working until it didn't work anymore and and that was the point at which I was like oh okay so it's actually beyond this set of things you do to actually how you be in relationship and how you are in your own body because it can be a very heady thing to think saying all the right words and like, you know, doing the co-sleeping and doing the, um, you know, long-term breastfeeding and I'm doing the baby lid weaning and I'm doing all the things, but there's some part of me that's empty here. or There's some part of me that's not revealing my full self here. Mm. And my child can't feel me because I'm so up here trying to get it right, which then creates the anxiety and the guilt. And, and, it, and it's also a real problem in relationships and in intimate relationships because the mother is so, focus on getting it right because the research says this instead of being willing to fully experience the child and the family and the dynamic at play so I've actually forgotten your initial question initial <laughs> question well I think we started off the the thread that connects it here is that we talked about anger and how yeah. you said anger can be a truth teller and particularly in gentle and attachment parenting and so I'm yes. wondering about how conscious parenting and this way of mothering which I think actually I mean I'd like to hear your response to this but I think actually conscious parenting is almost like unveiling the woman as mother like it's it's re-centering the mother actually in 
her experience of motherhood rather than subordinating to all of the different paradigms and yeah do you agree yeah totally and I mean and I think I think the woman who lands in this place of conscious parenting recognizes with humility all of the areas in which she's still learning to become conscious and therefore because she can recognize that she's also looking to see that her child is unveiling that too in themselves and also in relationship to you because we all have this way of looking at the world which frames our reality and so do our children and our children give us clues to what they're conscious of and then we can use that coupled with what we see we want them to grow into to reveal our mutual growth together but whatever we are not willing to feel or make safe within ourselves our children will, will test and you know i think about that with my four-year-old and her ferocity and and her embodiment of that and her unapologetic embodiment of that and i think like that's what we're also trying to honor here is is the ability to express that and then also learn how we can move it in conscious move it in ways that we'll learn how to maneuver that energy in a way that doesn't destroy you know relationships in the world around us and so i think our children also are teaching us how to be more how to create more safety with our in our emotional worlds because for them like they're living in a feeling world which means that they're not they're not trying to put a lid on it or like, you know, soldier on, like they have a feeling and they want to feel it. Mm, wow. and, 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 and because, and we, we know what we're uncomfortable with by virtue of where we close or where we want to stop them. Like if we have this intense desire to shut it down in them, it's really worthwhile to go, Oh, how am I feeling about that in myself right now? What, what's that telling me about how I'm feeling about my own anger? or how I'm feeling about my own social anxiety. Because what we're perceiving in our children is ultimately a little breadcrumb for us to recognize where we're being, where we're being called to grow in ourselves. Wow, but it really struck me when you said that um, our children are feeling beings because they have an emotion and they wanna feel it. And perhaps this is, I think it is one of the ways that we can really, struggle in motherhood because we are mothering these feeling beings in a world and a society and in our own conditioning that says we are thinking beings we are rational beings we are driven by logic and decision making and choice and autonomy and Mm -hmm. the list writing and the decision makings and the pros and cons and all of that and we're so in our head Mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons why it can be incredibly confronting and it feels disorienting, but maybe it's actually reorienting being in a relationship with our children. (laughs) Well, and I think too, you know, you've, you've, you've nailed it because you've said, you know, our, our strength as educated women and getting where we have got to in our lives, you know, which is I'm sure where many of your listeners are at too, is, is, is based on our capacity to, get out in the world and be empowered women and, you know, use our brains to get our degrees and to, you know, plan our lives and set our goals. And, and, you know, in our experience, we've minimized our emotions because they don't get us anywhere and I don't have time for those. And there's not any value in them. So when our children bring them to us, it's really easy to see them as in the way of where we're trying to get to. 
which is essentially also a conversation which Julie talks beautifully on on the podcast around this intersection between the masculine and the feminine, like the masculine logic oriented, you know, get things done is, is, is also the part in women that is so um, celebrated in our culture because we've learned how to fit into a patriarchal society. And it's our children in their full bodied feminine feeling and expression and delight that they are actually asking us to also awaken in ourselves and, and create space for to celebrate so that actually what if, you know, this massive meltdown or big emotional release that my child's having on the way somewhere or, you know, in the middle of my day, what if actually that's just as purposeful as like the thing we we're going to go do that was beautiful at the library or at the museum? Like what if actually this thing right here is just as beautiful, if not more beautiful than, than the thing that I wanted to enrich their brain with or, or spark their mind with, you know? I think it's a game changer. And do you think, do you have any examples um, either from that you've witnessed or experienced of how this dynamic of repression and expression plays out of where a child has been able to bring to their mother, Mm. bring their mother to a place of confronting a feeling or a sensation that they had previously not even recognized as existing and, and, mm. and pushing down. Like how does that dynamic happen where our children, cause it's, it's obviously, it's not conscious of, from our children, right? Like they're not sitting no. there, these little, you know, masterminds <laughs> thinking about how can I pull this emotion out of mum? But yeah. that dynamic seems to happen all the time. Mm. Yeah. I see it with clients. Actually. I, I find it, I find it, the patterns a lot easier to witness in others. You probably find this too, a witness in, in people that you're working with, um, less so than yourself in terms of the storytelling. But I, I often see with clients in terms of the parents perhaps disconnected and the child will reflect the mother's anger perhaps towards the father. So the child might not want to go to the father, for example, or the child will only want the mum. And then what that can do is also entrench for the mother her her need to be needed as well, which plays out a lot in attachment parenting too, is, is is this belief that we have to be all things and that only we can get our babies to sleep and no, dad, I don't want you, you know, and... And that can further entrench some of the disconnects that happen in relationship that the child is trying to get the parents to address through bringing that up, through bringing up. Because there is a developmental preference option for either parent, but it also plays out the dynamic too. And so, you know, is it really that the child really just needs mum? And do we do we follow the child there or do we recognise, oh, like... I wonder if there's something in there for me about how I'm also feeling that I also don't want to be around you right now because of X, Y, Z, and that maybe I'm being called to feel what that might be and create the bridge. Because if I'm willing to create the bridge, does that do away with my child's resistance right here? And will my child be able to be more fluid in in terms of who they go to in in the parenting dynamic um, when I'm more willing and more open with either my conversations with my partner or my willingness for my partner to take care of the baby. That was, I mean, that was with my first child. Like I remember a coach I was working with at the time. I was so deeply entrenched in attachment parenting and my belief that I had to get my baby to sleep. But when he said to me, why can't your husband do it? It was like so 
jarring to me because I just internalized that it was my job. And there was part of me that felt like it might die a little if I gave that up because yeah. it was the identity that I built for myself. But it had also got to the point though, where it became a cage mm. where, where, where I couldn't be more of where I was asking myself to grow because I created that for myself. And it wasn't even true. I just created all the reasons why that was true. Mm. Do you know what? I'm grappling with this right now. Oh yeah. With, with breastfeeding because mm. it's like always been, you know, and I don't have, cause you have this kind of, you know, when you're feeding beyond 12 months, there's like a narrative that gets attached to that. And then when you're feeding beyond two years, there's a narrative that gets attached to that. And there's all this social conditioning and messaging. And even I think there's conditioning and messaging around natural term weaning as well of what that is supposed to look like and we have such few models for for those who are listening who might be listening for the first episode my daughter is three and we're we're breastfeeding and and the narratives I've heard about that is you get to a stage where you're just done you can't take it anymore you just want them off your body and that's your signal to initiate weaning you know as Mm. opposed to letting your child do it which I haven't felt but I'm starting to recognize the ways that continuing to feed her in the evening has become somewhat of that cage that you just mentioned in that Mm. I've got this story now that I'm, I have been the only one who can get her to sleep. Like I need to be there for her. You know, she can't do it on her own. And Mm. like how much of my story actually is enmeshed up with that and how much is she, you know, in when it is difficult to get her to sleep, like how much is she actually bringing that to me to confront totally confront me with that yeah 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 oh. so, so I, I don't know if, i don't know if you did it actually you might have um when i i did a breastfeeding masterclass and it was all about like changing the dynamic with breastfeeding and and i recognized with my that my baby who i night weaned around 12 months her difficulty and the edges that i was getting taken to during the night with her and breastfeeding through the night i realized was part of the dynamic to get me to initiate the change i wanted to do but there wasn't i wasn't consciously doing so i had to get frustrated enough Mm. and recognize that she was wanting that separation from me just as much as i was wanting it in order for me to initiate that and transition to her to her own room and 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 stop feeding her overnight Mm. and so in the case of you saying she needs that from me and I always think okay how much do you need that from her too because it's a relationship and relationships are always up for transformation and renegotiation and 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 shifting and so I often think when we get to that point potentially when it gets resentful it's then okay well what what needs to change here because I know I always this to breastfeeding women too like it's not just about what you can give the baby. It's also what you're giving yourself because it's so much more about nutrients. And if you're breastfeeding and you're feeling resentful, then there's an energetic exchange there that's not necessarily feeling good for that child. But if you're just doing it because you think you should, then and you're also kind of jarring your own nervous system in that too because it's really incongruent for yourself and it's incongruent for them. It goes back to the point you made at the, at the beginning of the podcast almost about the ways that actually applying a, and practicing a conscious parenting lens on the mother-child dynamic is both this sense, you, you, you pull from that this sense of responsibility in that you actually recognize yeah. how powerful you are. 
yet at mm. the same time it is also freeing it's like it's it's both it's both at the same time isn't it because you can see then the ways that actually you can initiate changes and changes that happen and occur within yourself and i know you will have experienced this as well and you know we would both see it with clients and i've experienced it that doing something on for ourselves and doing the inner work within us creates the changes around mm. us in our children mm. as well it's not about putting the problems on them and making them the problem that we then try and fix right yeah yeah totally and it's not about fixing the child it's about okay well what's happening here with my child and how can i get a really clear picture of it you know is it just my child am i casting a label onto them am i only seeing them one way am i getting all of the special seem to confirm a perception that I already have about them to just make myself feel better or, or have them, you know, I don't know, affirmed in some way. Mm. How can I see this situation wider? And I think sometimes it's just that reminder that we actually have a choice here. Like the moment that we think that we've got no choices left is the moment actually that it's our intuition trying to flag to us, hey, there's stuff you're not seeing here mm. because we always have choice. Our child's waiting for us to remember that. And I think about that, like, in terms of what that models for our child too. Like, if we're willing to have the courage to have the hard conversation or take the, you know, take the step out in, in society that might challenge the status quo, but that is, is really authentic to us, then I know, like, if I do that thing that, yeah, I might be really challenged by, that is teaching my child how to be out on the playground and deal with conflict better than me giving them these choice words before they start school. Because I have to embody that for them to know what that really looks like in a felt sense way. Mm, oh my goodness. Yes. And every choice we're making from, from birth and from, you know, honouring ourselves and how we're growing and, and recognising that maybe, you know, we might have had this ideal that we're going to breastfeed for this long or we're going to stay home for this long or we're only going to do that kind of care or they're going to have this kind of education or you know, any of those set ideas we might have is being willing to look at ourselves and our evolution and look at the child in front of us and who they truly are, which is what their life is demonstrating. And, and recognising the intersection between us and them and asking what's the win-win here? Like, how can, how can I get past this, this point of, of feeling like somebody has to lose out to instead ask, how can the choices I make be supportive and nourishing for both of us? Yeah, yeah. And what really is kind of reverberating through my mind as you're speaking about this is thinking about all of the ways that we as a culture, like cast out and shame and make taboo the parts of mothering that feel most challenging in this way in terms of guilt and anger mm. and resentment and, you know, ambivalence and even regret and all of that. We kind of just label it, all of those things and put them in the, in the place where we aren't allowed to talk about them, but that actually, potentially, all of those uncomfortable experiences perhaps or the the parts of ourselves that lead us to experiencing and sitting with the dis discomfort is potentially the most instructive and powerful parts of our mm. experience because that's what it gets those things are what teach us about ourselves and our children and also lead us to decisiveness and mm. change and action and isn't that where we step into our power as mothers yeah. in our potential to do that Absolutely. And I think sometimes it takes those catalytic moments, you know, 
to get us really congruent and to, you know, and breastfeeding is an imperfect example of that, of that place where you might've thought, and, and I even wonder like you know, this, this whole like natural, natural term weaning, for example, even if we say, you know, it's up to the child to decide, the child is still feeling the mother. Like there's still, there's still a dynamic there. So I don't, I don't necessarily agree with the fact that it's, it's purely the child's choice because ultimately the mother still has to be okay with giving up her body or giving, giving her body over because there's also a consent piece in here. Yeah. That if I'm saying yes to breastfeeding you right now, but my body's really saying no, mm. then actually I want to say no because I want you to know what a no feels like when someone's asking you to do something with your body that you don't want to do and that also be a gift to them. Uh, yeah, I totally hear you and agree with you and think that whenever we're talking about mothering and mother-centered or we're talking about child rearing and practices of raising children, like we always have to be in conversation with that. It's never yeah. one or the other, is it? Mm. And I think depending on where we lean, we'll choose what we want. So I often think about the Maria Montessori quote, which is follow the child. If you look at the quote in full, it's follow the child as their leader. And that changes how that can be perceived mm. Mm. because your child needs your leadership as well. Like we can honor the wholeness of who they are, but ultimately we are still tasked with being their leader. Mm. That might be a beautiful place to end Bridget. I could talk to you for mm. a very long time on this subject. <laughs> Thank you so much for your wisdom. And I wondered if you could, yeah, just direct people as to where they can connect with you to work with you and what you have offering next yeah so i can get connected with me at suburbansandcastles.com and this week actually i have starting my new program which is called disrupt revealing the mother wound and it's all around understanding our imprints it's all around looking at the collective interpretation of mothering and mother and looking at the guilt that we can hold and that bigger family dynamic piece and how often we need to mother ourselves at, in order to mother our children much like what we've talked about today so you can find that there. And of course you can find me at nourishingyourmother.com.au and our podcast there too. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you've resonated with something from today's episode. If you're a mother who would like to take these conversations further, consider joining my private membership group, Liberated Motherhood. Or if you're somebody who works with mothers, then check out my Motherhood Studies Practitioner Certification. You can find more details about these at my website and reach out and connect at drsophiebrock.com.